There is nothing we should be quite so grateful for as the last line of a poem that goes, when your own heart asks, be resolved, young samurai, and tell the world what you witness here today. you kinsmen the journey will be unpleasant and the work more difficult than you can imagine the rewards however are without measure welcome to our 13th episode exploring legend of the five rings on the it's a mimic channel i'm megan and with me today again are roman and steve in this episode we're going to be putting everything we have discussed about the setting and mechanics into practice to bring you a few different character builds from the fourth edition of legend of the five rings these characters can act as inspiration for your own PCs or the building blocks for some existing or exciting NPCs for you to use in your games. All of these characters are built at rank 1 using 40 experience plus any extra bonus XP that you take from taking the dis ads. For our first round of PCs, we will be focusing on Bushi. Uh, as we have discussed in the past, the Bushi are the warrior caste. They are the bodyguards, they are the soldiers, they are the generals, and that is what we are going to be building in our first round of characters. So let's roll off and Grab a dice. to go first. Grab a dice, gentlemen. Uh, yeah, just little around in here. Okay, relax. Alright, what'd you guys roll? Seven. I also rolled a seven. Oh, roll off, because I rolled a nine, so you're going to ask to figure out who was, who was after me. Seven. I also rolled a seven. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> These dice are loaded! <laughs> Steve, can we kiss? No, fine. <laughs> I roll an eight. Oh, damn. All right, well, I'll go first. Steve will go second. Roman, you're going to go last in this one. Fine. So, talking about Bushy. Bushy, Bushy, Bushy. Bushy, Bushy. Bushy, Bushy. Bushy, bro. Uh, so, talking about Bushy, I decided to go with the Mantis clan. So, and so, just to start, I have built a few of these in my life in a couple of the different families. So, I've done Saruchi Archers, I've done Kitsune Bushy. So I decided to kind of dig into the Yoritomo fam because I've never actually built something from that family for myself. Uh, so I thought it'd be a good time to do a little bit of research and kind of read into it um, and to see if I kind of enjoyed it. And not going to lie, kind of interesting. Yeah, they are. So knowing that they are technically the masters of the sea, along with the fact that the salt water has an effect on steel, allows this family specifically to fight using improvised weapons as well as due to kind of having sea legs, it rewards their fighting style with a lot of more movement when they're in battle. So in fact, the rank, as a rank one character that I've built, the first school technique that I get is called the Way of the Mantis, which grants no penalties for using improvised weapons, as well as no penalties for moving around rough terrain. Because again, they have their sea legs, they know that steel has an effect, so they just kind of improvise whatever they have. So this kind of inspired to me making a Dancing boat maiden who fights with whatever she can find, but mostly her fists. So a little fisticuffs, you know, little pirate maiden. Uh, so this person sails the seas and adventures that assist the Empire to continue to make sure that the Mantis are known to have earned their place as a major clan because for a long time they actually weren't, right? They kind of earned their place within wars, battles, what have you, to become one of these major clans. And I feel like if you are a part of the Mantis family, your goal in life is to maintain that status. Yep. Right? So, on top of all the already given skills of defense, jujitsu with improvised weapons, kenjutsu, knives, and sailing, I supported my creative build by adding and paying for athletics and battle, as well as performance in dance. 
because that's what I feel like kind of gives her a little bit more of that flavor, right? So I bumped up her jujitsu and improved her weapon skill and bumped up points within the fire ring, which supports the agility and the intelligence to enhance all of those agility skills that I've chosen and already have being within the Mantis clan. Uh, for ads, I took Daredevil, because I fucking always do with Ibushi. Always. <laughs> <laughs> which basically means that she has to fight against herself not to be daring and take a challenge at full force. I also took Crab Hands, which gives bonus to unarmed attacks. Which is also taken as a, you can pay less for it uh, if you're a Bushi-skilled character. Um, I also took, of course, because you're a sailor, absolute direction. So that kind of supports the fact that you are a sailing crew to find your way within the world, right? I tend to take absolute direction in most of my Bushi characters as well. Because you technically, as a Bushi, sometimes travel the world, going to battle, going to war. So you're not always staying within your Kudin. So I find that absolute direction, knowing what north, east, south, west is, tends to be very helpful and has come in handy quite a few times. Um, to punch up the uh, character's flavor, I gave her disturbing countenance as a disad. And the way I imagine that for her is that she is constantly sunburnt okay. <laughs> from long travel. So she's always at sea, right? So the salt water, dry skin, being in the sun, she's just constantly sunburnt, has scarring from being a child and not really taking care of her skin. And what that does is it kind of like gives her less, uh, a couple of disadvantages to her roles with social skills because people are kind of like afraid of her appearance, which I thought would kind of go well with her. I also gave her contrary, which means socially she has an opinion about everything, which to me speaks really well to like the Mantis clan as a whole because they're so prideful and so like we earned our place here, their opinion to them matters. <laughs> And so I felt like from a social standpoint, even if it's uncomfortable with some people, my character would always have an opinion about something. And, uh, yeah, that is the Bushi that I built. Nice. Very cool. Very cool. I thought she was really cute. <laughs> kind of a bitch, but great. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like the Mantis. I don't know. You know, to a degree, you're right. <laughs> um, so I took sort of a similar approach uh, in the sense that I wanted to build something I had never built before. Mm -hmm. uh, while there were a lot of different options for that, uh, something that stood out a little bit more uh, to me, anyways, was to build a Ronin, which came with its own sort of set of uh, challenges in regards to how to build that character. Uh, I think we spoke before about how uh, ads and disads really help me define who my character is as a person, but without the framework of a school, uh, at least in like from one of the great or minor clans, it does mean that there's a little bit more uh, interpretation into what go makes makes a character a character and like what they're good at and what they do. And that's not to say that Ronins don't have schools. They do. They just don't have that standard array that most Bushi do. Bushi usually have a rank one through five that sort of give you a, give you an idea of where characters going to go and what they're going to be good at as they progress. Yeah. The structure is not necessarily there as it is with a family. Yeah. Precisely. So Ronins learn what they can, where they can, when they can. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, we're building rank one, so I picked a starting point, uh, which is a group of Ronin called the Tessin, and they're called as such because they use war fans as their primary uh, weapon of choice and are generally a bit more defensive, uh, operate often as defend like defenders of, of the public or the peace, and uh, I thought that was a really interesting place to start from. The thing with Ronin is, is that there are sort of two ways to start a Ronin character. One is basically a pure Ronin, which means that they don't have any 
clan affiliation, um, and the other one does actually have sort of like a dishonored Bushi uh, or other uh, character class where they're going to end up basically being disowned from their clan and have a little bit of the training that they picked up before they were let go. Mm. Uh, mine is just raw Ronin. They don't have a, a history with a clan. So basically the idea around my build was that they are dishonored because they were kicked out during their training uh, as being um, cowardly. So they ran from battle, they wouldn't engage, and as a result their lord was uninterested in continuing to invest in him as a person and removed him from their service mm. and basically picked up um, a, a group of um, local ronin that were sort of doing you know, keeping the peace in, in town. And while he is not a great combatant, he has a very strategic mind. So I took a lot of the parts uh, that go into this character. Uh, battle being a big part of it. So sort of being a coordinator of armies, being a coordinator of like almost dispatch, basically. Coordinating mm -hmm. where people are going to go each day and where, you know, the most attention needs to go. Um, and that really played into sort of the idea of being a defensive role and having a defensive focus on my character, being a little bit more, you know, guy behind the, you know, behind the screens, you know. A little bit of a puppeteer. Puppeteer, yeah. exactly, yeah. Um, and being a bit more of a support character, I suppose. Mm -hmm. uh, and as a result, uh, I really played into sort of his um, fire ring, which has a lot of intelligence skills that would go into things, and then also into his perception, which is only about half of a water ring, but it does sort of give him the tools needed to play into that sort of very, you know, awareness, well, not awareness, I guess, but a perceptive um, position where it is about being in tune with what's happening and being able to react to it appropriately. Yeah. So, um, yeah, uh, just sort of a different different take on Bushi was what I was going for is something he's not frontline, but it's a little bit more, um, yeah, of a support Bushi. Yeah. Cause at the end of the day with Rona, it doesn't mean that they're not knowledgeable in their roles. Correct. And yeah. a lot of people get that mistake. And I think Rona, you and I have talked about this before, especially with Shugenja is even if you're a Ronin, if you're recognized as a Shugenja, you're going to still be respected as one Yes. to a degree, even if you're a Ronin. And I think that still placates for any of like a Bushi or a courtier is that you'll still have that respect from folks because you are trained to an extent. Yes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think generally the rule for Ronin is if you are bad at being a samurai as a Ronin, you're not a Ronin for very long because you're going to die. Yeah. Like you don't have that support structure of a clan to back you up. So. Or redeem yourself in some yes. way, shape or form. Yeah. An important distinction to make is that there are born Ronin. Yeah. And that yep. there are um, Ronin through circumstance. So mm -hmm. if you are born Ronin, you typically don't have access to the same schooling. You don't have access to the same um, resources that someone who has been made Ronin receives. If you are made Ronin, then that can be through a variety of things, whether it is, you know, the death of your lord and the refusal of a new lord, or perhaps through something that is dishonorable that has cast you out of the samurai caste. The reality is that made Ronin have had access to proper schooling, have had access to an abundance of resources that allow them to become just as competent as their peers within the great clans or within the minor clans. The only difference is they have fell upon misfortune. Yeah, sure. that's fair. Or have created their own misfortune. True. Yeah, yeah, not wrong. Yeah, I think there's like a number of different tiers of Ronin. So like the, the way I read the book was that generally Ronin who don't have a clan skill to build off of off of the bat are usually born Ronin. Yep. 
but the way I decided to interpret that for making this character was that he never completed his Genpuku and therefore received formal training, but never really like locked in like the full school set of like, you know, being able to come forth and say like, yeah, I, I have lion training. I, I am just, I was training to be a lion samurai and they deemed me unworthy to be as such. Mm -hmm. So, uh, are are you, are you done with your build, Steve? Go for it. Yeah. So it's really funny that, uh, you sort of built in that direction because I built a very similar character. Okay. But instead of building, building a sort of like a, like a back row or a, um, more defensive strategic support character, I built a frontlining support character. Okay. And it's interesting that your character has roots in the lion because my character is a lion. So in many ways, I could sort of see the progression of who your Ronin is and who my lion became. Okay, cool. Let's hear it. So my the, the lion elite spearmen are quite interesting. Because at the dawn of the Empire, the spear was the most common melee weapon among the tribes who lived in what became Rokugan. Mm. The tribal warriors who followed Okoto and his chief lieutenant Matsu were particularly skilled in the ways of the spear, both as hand-to-hand weapon and as short-range missile. And these spearmen formed the backbone of the Lion armies during the First War. In modern times, the Lion Clan spearmen are a relatively small unit, and most of the great clans consider them to be a holdover from a simpler era. Nonetheless, they maintain their dojo and continue to serve as useful components in an overall structure of the lion armies. Although the school is still customarily referred to as the lion elite spearmen, it is maintained by the Matsu family, and they form the bulk of its students. So I did something a little bit weird here. I made an Okoto. Mm-hmm. Because my intention was to build a someone who leads from the front. Yeah. Now, the advantages and disadvantages that I took. So I took antisocial and brash mm-hmm. as my disadvantages. Brash is a pretty standard. Uh, you get a bonus from being a lion for it. Like you take it uh, for an extra point. And antisocial is something that I wanted to take because I wanted both of those things to contradict the leadership advantage that I took. So I wanted to write a character who was hard to get along with, but you couldn't deny their ability to motivate people. It's like, fuck, I hate this guy, but he is... I'm glad he's here with his charisma. Yeah, I don't like him, but I'm glad he's on our side, you know? So you build yourself as a lion? Do you want to fight right now? No, it's okay. Uh, I, I... Combined this with the Kata Strength of a Lion, which also adds initiative bonuses. So the leadership advantage allows you to add initiative bonuses. The Strength of the Lion Kata allows you to add initiative bonuses. So you're making your team go sooner, which means you're taking down threats faster. You have this guy pointing out targets saying, this guy's got to die, this guy's got to die. You go to the front. I'm here up at the front. Let's make it happen. I focus most of my points into uh, defense and pole arms and a little bit into battle because the elite lion spearman rank one technique gives you a bonus to your reduction while you are in the center defense and full defense stances. 
as well as gives you bonuses on your spears and pole arms. So mm-hmm. my guy wants to be in the front line. He wants to be sort of drawing people into him, and he wants to be pointing at his allies like, hey, I've already drawn the charge. You guys finish these guys off. You come in from the side. You do this. Later levels, I would probably be trying to build into some of the more tactician advanced classes to try and build someone that would create more battlefield presence and create more battlefield control. Very similar to the Ronin that you were trying to build, Steve. Yeah. Well, you're elite from the front, I'm elite from the back. Exactly. Hey-oh. The... Yeah. <laughs> Megan. Sorry. <laughs> Wrong podcast channel. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That being said, now that we've kind of talked about our three different bushies that we would create, we talked about the advantages and disadvantages that we could give each other our characters. What kind of strategy did you put towards making those? Do you choose them first? Do you choose them last? Do they help you? Steve, you mentioned it helps you build your character. What were the kind of like directions that you took? Like for instance, mine, looking at my Mantis, I wanted to make sure that I took stuff that um, felt like it fit for being a sailor, right? And felt like it fit with her personality. So she's going to be forward and brash and people are going to be a little bit scared of her. So that's why I gave her kind of like that, um, that countenance of the fact that she doesn't necessarily look like your classic courtier or beautiful, like, um, samurai who's going to be easy to talk to X, Y, Z. Cause she's out on the sea. She knows her crew. She knows her people. And that's it. Right. So technically I could have probably taken brash, but I didn't want her to be unapproachable. Right. I want her to be approachable because she has a good personality, not because she's necessarily that good looking, shall we say. And I kind of chose the direction I wanted to take my character. And then I looked at the ads and disads that fit with that process. So I decided I wanted to make a dancing, full movement, um, kind of like Mantis character that was very good at like like sociable and so so forth, but with a little bit of a disadvantage. And that's kind of how I picked mine. Steve, how did you kind of pick your ads and disads? Yeah, so I mean, like I said, during the process, uh, I am generally prone to picking them first mm-hmm. or early in the process to sort of give me some framework to work off of. Do you tend to like read through them when you're deciding to build a character and kind of pick some and then kind of go from there? Yeah, like... absolutely. Uh, and yeah. I honestly usually start with disads. I find like things that things that make life more difficult tend to be more definitive and character defining. Yeah, yeah. Like, you're you're gonna find like that the way your life unfolds as a character or as a person, I find generally is more determined by like the struggles that you have to overcome Mm. than the things that you were naturally good at. Yeah. Because you are more often likely to find the things that are a turret naturally than the things that you were good at by chance. That's fair. Um, So for this character, I went into it going, okay, well, he's a Ronin, so I need a reason why he's a Ronin. Yeah. So the first disad that I took was uh, failure, Bushido, courage. Yeah. Um, and that sort of informed a lot of the other choices. And then once I determined that he was going to be a bit of a scaredy cat, I sort of built off that and gave um, needed something to make him functional because of Bushi that runs from battle, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. Like, it's going to be a hard character to play. So I needed something to sort of balance that out and make him a functional character. Uh, so the, the thing that I basically went with was uh, that whole tacti- like tactical mind, which gave me the advantage that I put on, which was tactician. Yep. Which actually doesn't give as much of a benefit as you would think to the character overall. Uh, I believe it just benefits your mass battle table. Mm-hmm. So basically when you are coordinating a mass battle, get a benefit. It's pretty niche. It's not going to come in handy a lot of the time. 
but it made sense for the character. So it was something that I was willing to put points into because it was flavorful and added that little extra splash of like, ah, this is who he is, as opposed to actually being like, a, ah, yes, this is going to, you know, make him unbeatable. Yeah. It, Some guidance on role play it, not necessarily how to st statistically make it work better. It, it fit the character more than it fit, like, how I expected him to play it. And don't be, get me wrong, he is good at the battle skill. Yeah. And when that becomes relevant, Great, I'll totally use that benefit. But at the end of the day, if I was going to try and min-max the character, this would not have been the first thing that I would have picked. Fair. Yeah. Fair man. What about you, Rome? Uh, one thing that I've started doing and that I've been trying to do is like paying the battle skill in skirmishes. Mm -hmm. Because if you can apply it to a large scale, you can apply it to a smaller scale. Mm -hmm. So finding ways of making the battle skill feel relevant in smaller combats has been something that I've been working on and it's I think it's going to be my mantra for 2024 like making the battle skill relevant again um yeah, it's gonna be relevant for my future characters we're going to talk about but thank you we'll talk about it <laughs> <laughs> um, <coughs> go on papa but in in keeping with that the I built this whole character around the idea of making the leadership advantage as strong as possible, but also making it a contradiction to who the character was. Mm. If you look at who the character is, like they, for all intents and purposes, are a terrible leader. They're miserable to be around. They don't like people. They don't enjoy being in a position of leadership. Mm -hmm. But for whatever reason, they're just good at it. They're good at riling people up. They're good at inspiring people. And... Writing a character like that felt very interesting to me. I led with the leadership advantage, but found things that I could use to make it feel like it didn't belong for the character. Mm -hmm. And then through role play, I wanted to try and find ways of making the leadership advantage really shine. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. There you go. Cool. Um, so looking at Bushi in the sense of like promotions in their lives, like obviously we build characters that are technically level one, right? They're the, they're beginning out. They just graduated. They're moving on. They're on their first adventures, X, Y, Z. So what does that progression look like for your character or promotion? So like for mine, specifically for a mantis, uh, obviously they're a sailor. So I would look at the progression of like the ship um, leadership roles, right? At what point do I become a captain? would be like the ultimate goal for my character promotion process. So I would become, I would start out as the person who just swabs the decks and just, you know, helps the crew help with like the other NPCs that are running around the crew, moving on to being upgraded to being like a navigator, moving into be upgrading into being the captain and then moving upgraded, like second hand man and then up to captain. So like, I think like that's the progression of my Mantis character because she definitely likes to travel she likes being a part of the adventures, and she likes the fact that she is helping the Mantis stick with being a major clan. So her goal is then to eventually become a captain and be one of those people that helps promote their clan as much as possible. So that's what I would see the progression approach from her character, but like, what about you, Steve, for yours? Yeah, I mean, uh, again, for Ronan, it's a little bit different because you don't have that sort of like clear-cut path mm -hmm. of, you know, progressing within your own clan. I guess for my character in specific, because he has sort of taken on this role of city protector and the the position that he's playing in that, which is sort of dispatch, gives him a natural progression towards sort of being like, uh, what's the right term? Like 
like, uh, like a city militia, city almost like, a, like a, a person's, a people's militia. Yes. Yeah, but like lead, like head of it. Yeah, like yeah. getting to a point where he is the one that decides where they go every day and not just relaying it. No matter what, they call you in. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I will be. Yeah. Like the guy on the horn. You yeah. Know? Like something goes wrong. You're the like, guy everybody yeah. knows. Yes. You're like where, where do we send the <laughs> troops? Talk to the Shigenjo, Send the message. Get those, get those guys over there. You know that kind of stuff. Um, and whether that gains him attention of like whatever clan is owns this city or, or protects the city, who knows? Maybe someday he gets repatriated into uh, a great clan. That's a pretty long stretch goal, but. The, the term that I think you're looking for is Yoriki. So you would be a second-in-command to a magistrate. And the magistrate is probably the kind of person who's like, yeah, don't worry, Ronin-san, you figure it out. I'm going to be over here napping and hanging out with Geisha, but you can you can handle all the things on my on my I'll list of duties. The, I'll right? be the face yes. of whatever duties. I, I will be the, the uh, authority. Figure. But everybody secretly knows that you're the man in charge. Yeah, yes. you're, you're the guy in the chair. Right? That makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, that's a fair, fair assessment. Yeah, something along those lines. Um, oh man, I would love to play that like like courtier or what have you that has that second hand man that is the smarter one and just be like, yeah, you wait a minute, that's our character, Steve. You and I are doing that right now. Yes, we are. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to know that the unicorn is in great hands. Hey-o. Absolutely. What about you, Rowan? Uh, like my my long term goal is to try and turn this like super unpersonable like poorly aware person into a general right mm. you know, like into that mass combat monster um starting to invest more in both the water and the fire rings because those are required for the akoto tactical master it is a bushi school that specializes in mass combat and their whole thing is yeah going into mass combat using the battle skill and making it so that your people get out of mass combat not only alive but thriving mm -hmm. their rank two technique is really cool there are these things called heroic opportunities which are events that can occur in mass combat that allow you to score big points for your side and can turn the tide of battle really quickly I can see this guy as being somebody who not again not only surveys the battlefield really well but takes an active role in ensuring that these things happen yeah in ensuring that his people get home because while he doesn't like most people he also feels that sense of duty to his fellow lions he has that sense of responsibility mm -hmm. he eventually grows into somebody who in spite of the fact that they don't enjoy leading they like the people around them enough to want to take care of them Fair enough. right and i think that that creates an interesting character as somebody who sort of fights against their nature mm. for the sake of the people around them that's fair love it all right so that's bushy and i believe next we're gonna be talking about courtiers sounds right to me that's right do we want to keep the same rotation or we roll again fucking chuck the bones all roll right i rolled a nine i rolled a one. Oh lord i rolled three yeah. <laughs> All right, Roman, you're first. So for my courtier, I decided that I was going to be building a crab clan courtier, a member of the Yusuke family. So the Yusuke are really cool because they specialize in using commerce as a means of gaining favor of others. They are as much salesmen as they are courtiers and can use any number of sales tactics, including both pressure and false sincerity, to gain that which they desire from others. No one in the empire can take a simple resource and transform it into a hot commodity with the same style and deftness as a Yusuke 
court here. Mm. The skills that they get as a part of their kit are commerce with an emphasis in appraisal, courtier, defense, etiquette, intimidation, sincerity with an emphasis in deceit, and one other merchant skill. I gave my Yasuki courtier craft tailoring. So my dude is, I don't know how many of you spend time on the internets, but there is this... <laughs> Instagram personality who tailors suits. Yeah. His whole thing is making fun of people and pointing out the like cool things that he has done with the cuts of their suit. And that's what my dude's all about. His okay. whole vibe is just like flattering people and letting them know that they look really good in his work, mm -hmm. but that generally speaking, they're kind of trash. Mm -hmm. um, I took the luck advantage for nine points. <laughs> so you could re-roll deceiving someone about how great they look? Three times. Great. <laughs> so the luck advantage, uh, you take it in increments of three. So three points, six points, nine points. And for each three points that you invest in it, you get another re-roll. Mm -hmm. And so like this guy, in order to get away with this sort of shenanigan, has got to be smuggling horseshoes, you know? Yeah. He's, he's got to be smoking on four-leaf clovers, right? He's, he's that guy. But to sort of counteract that and to pay off this shenanigan that he has going on with the various fates and fortunes, he happens to have really bad luck as mm. well. He is allergic to ink. And as a courtier, ink is something that you are around all the time. You're writing up receipts of Most sale. have calligraphy if you look at courtier builds. You're yeah. writing letters to people to invite them to parties. Like, your whole thing is, again, being around pen and paper. The, the Yasuki rank one technique prevents you from losing honor when using the commerce skill, and you get a free raise when doing so. It also allows you to make a contested role to determine somebody's material desire or a service that they need. Mm -hmm. The rank two technique is going to give you re-rolls whenever you fail sincerity rolls. So again, you'll be able to push all of that merchandise that you're like, oh, this isn't some of my best work, but you look great in it. Those sorts of things is, is what I built the character to accomplish. Not being a sleazy businessman, but being a hype man for people. and But being a hype man with uh, you know some issues of his own. That's adorable. Yeah, I thought it was pretty cute. <laughs> I make you something nice. <laughs> I make it nice for you. <laughs> All right, well, I decided to build a scorpion courtier. Scandalous. Uh, so I wanted to build something slightly annoying and yet useful to any clan. So I built the rumor-mongering spreading courtier of the century. Uh, I went this route because for a long time Scorpion were used in the Empire specifically to be a common enemy for the Empire so folks would draw their attentions towards the Scorpion clan versus that of the actual Emperor themselves. So I decided to go with the Bayushi family and the Bayushi I built would be one you would hate to have rock up to your court and yet would love to have them there at the same time. So weirdly enough, I went in kind of a similar route where I was just like, you love to hate this person. Yeah. Right? So <laughs> I wanted to lean into the stereotype of the Bayushi family who are inherently manipulative. And okay. so that's why I kind of went with the love-hate relationship with them. Right? In fact, the Bayushi Courtier School rank one technique is called Weakness is My Strength, which gains you a free raises when spreading gossip as well as a um, no raises required to cover your gossip tracks. Ooh. So if you are spreading gossip, you can be like, nah, I don't have to send you raises. Be like, this does not come back, and this does not reflect poorly on me. This can reflect poorly on somebody else, right? So you can be the whisper whispers, and it will most likely not come back to you. 
So leaning into that on top of the school, given skills of calligraphy, courtier gossip, etiquette, investigation, sincerity, deceit, temptation. I added a sleight of hand, uh, games go, perform storytelling, and artisan poetry. Ooh. So this helps pump up the fact that this courtier is spe has a special way with their words that leaves you unaware if you love them or hate them. So in fact, just to confuse folks more, most of the rest of my points went into lore heraldry. So she knows everyone and whomst is whomst. Um, and then for rings, I bumped up the fire ring and then, so that's the intelligence and agility. And then to flesh her out further, I added advantages such as allies at rank two, which means that I have influence over a small portion of land. I'm also a clear thinker, so you cannot be wavered in my thinking process. And I also added darling of the court, <laughs> which means that folks who have been to a specific court that they were present at loves them. And for this character, I like the thought that they figured out a whodunit mystery at a court. Um, <laughs> and for that, everybody loves them. They found out a, like, a whodunit. They're like, this person fucking did it. Like, it was a murder mystery. They did it. I figured it out. Therefore, you are loved. Ah, uh, yes. You are loved by this, for this particular court, everybody loves you. However, comma. The disads I gave them was rumor mongering, which it fits, uh, as if they, so basically they have to make a rule not to be tempted to spread the juicy goss. As well as they have sworn enemy. Because clearly, as a result of the whodunit, they made an enemy. Fair. <laughs> so was it was it an actual murder or was it just no, like no, a no. It's like a murder. whodunit. Like someone spread a rumor. You're like it was this person. Uh, like, but it might have been them at the beginning to begin with. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I have solved my own mystery. Well, that's the thing. They spread some gossip, and everyone's like, "Who started this?" And they're like, "Oh, it was this guy." Because like, they, they will never figure out that it was me that spread this gossip. It was somebody else. So everybody loves them for like pointing out the fact that this person spread this gossip, but this person who did not spread this gossip was like, I will kill you. <laughs> <laughs> one of these days, one of these courts, I'm going to get my comeuppance. And that's why they have this sworn enemy to them. Strong. Very yeah. strong. So that's my scorpion court here. <laughs> what about you, Stevie? What did you build? Uh, well, I went with Phoenix for my courtier. Yeah. Um, and the Phoenix courtier family uh, is the Asako. And the Asako are quite quiet and reclusive. Um, so they're not sort of your standard, you know, bold, brashful courtier, courtiers that come in and, you know, throw their weight around. They're a little bit more reserved and contemplative. Um, so I wanted to sort of reflect that in the way that I built my character, mm -hmm. uh, cause they are just sort of very much about like knowing history and having precedent. They're almost, uh, dare I say like lawyer, like, you know, is there a precedent for this? Yeah. You know, like in, in, Show in, me all, the books. in all of our years, <laughs> this has never happened. In know. all my years as a courtier. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. There you go. Um, so, but to, to back that up, I want to really lean into it. So for my disadvantages, which is where I started off for this character, I went antisocial, mm. which is a heck of a disadvantage for a courtier, because yeah. all of your social roles get minus 1k1. Very bold. Yeah. Which is, uh, sorry, uh, there are two tiers to antisocial. The first tier is minus 1ko, second tier is minus 1k1. Which yeah. one did you take? I took first tier. Strong. Yeah. Uh, strong. <laughs> Stern book <fair. laughs> Stern. Yeah. Just dipping a toe. And then, and then I also doubled down and took gullible. Okay. Oh, wow. oh, wow. I'm surprised you didn't take can't lie. <laughs> no, no, that's too far. <laughs> <laughs> I want um, to be able to lie. <laughs> yes. And the way I wanted to sort of pay this off was through really leaning into the other side of uh, who the Osaka are, which is their knowledge. 
So I took uh, two advantages. I took Precise Memory and Roman's favorite, oh, Sage. I fucking hate Sage. So <laughs> I love Sage. But, and, and to Might be come fair, up later. <laughs> I, I do understand. I, I sort of, like, Sage is basically an advantage that says, if you roll a lore thing, you're skilled in it. It doesn't matter what it is. You just, you know a little bit about everything. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, is a very broad statement, but... You read a book once and you recollect the one chapter from years ago that you read. Yes. Yeah. So, like, it is it is a bit of a, a, like, a broad stroke, but the way I sort of justify it with my character is, like, my character is antisocial. They're going into courtrooms, uh, court, like, not courtrooms, but, like, into courts where they're going to need to argue things with people and they're not going to be comfortable doing it. So to build up their confidence, they want to have the facts. Yeah. They want to be able to go in and be able to say, like, I know what we're talking about. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. I am versed in this topic. I know enough about this to be able to form a, a solid argument. Uh, and the, the Asako do come with three lore skills off the bat already. Um, so I took history, theology, and heraldry. Um, just love to, heraldry. Uh, yeah. I mean... How do you go wrong with heraldry? Especially as a courtier, and you know who's who. Yes. And who's important, gives, who's not important. Gives you a nice little baseline of like, yeah, like how do I address each of these different people here? Yeah. Um, and so the way I would want to play this is like through working with whoever's running my campaign, I would be like, look, what what what's this about? What are we doing? Okay, cool. I'm going to spend all night long reading up on this rolling lore skills to be yeah. as prepared for this as possible to sort of get like either free raises or some kind of like extra benefit to offset the fact that yeah i'm going to be talking a lot and i'm going to be punished for that um and then to balance everything else out uh, i did take the only ring that i bumped up was void mm -hmm. purely so i could void down or uh, add, add my void to anything else that i needed to do to offset that minus one ko um, and uh, the other half of the Asako uh, Lore Master School is that if you spend a void point on etiquette rolls, you get a plus 3k1 instead of a plus 1k1. Yeah. Interesting. So it's I crazy. really focused into like void point rejuvenation and then also making sure I had enough to sort of back myself up. Um, so I put extra points into meditation uh, to, so that I could restore two void points every time I meditated so that if I needed to utilize those void points, I could get them back. Yeah. I love it because like, Adam played an Asako in my campaign mm -hmm. and played it fucking larger than life. Like, like full on brash. <laughs> like, I'm like gonna throw my dick around kind of like action. Fair and enough. So it's very interesting to hear that play on it. Like, yours sounds more accurate to the to the placate, but like the fact that you're a Shugenja and you can throw your weight around if you need to. Courtier, but yes. Sorry, courtier. Yeah, but any who's all. Um, so thinking of courtiers, what, so we talked a little bit about what kind of like the aspects of our courtiers. What is something that you feel sets your courtier apart from the others? So Roman, you're first. Oh, it's, it's gotta be his, his allergy, right? Yeah. Allergic to ink. Yeah. Right. Like, oh, could you open that letter for me? <laughs> oh, I have a, oh, I know I have something I need to write. Could you take this down? Yeah, somebody take right? this down for like, me. <laughs> he, he always has a attendant who is right there on his hip, just like, yep, chop this down for me. Yeah. Memo to me, maim you after my meeting. Like he's that guy. Yeah. You know, he's he's a lot of personality and a lot of bravado, but 
the, the, the minutiae are things that he just can't interact with. Mm-hmm. And it sort of bleeds into other things that he does, right? It's not just, oh, well, I'm not willing to write this letter for myself. I'm not willing to feed myself. Yeah. I'm too busy thinking about what this should look like and adjusting the seam. I need you to put that sashimi in my mouth. That's fair. Feed me. Um, I I feel for my scorpion, I like the fact that you will either love or hate them when they go to court because they will know and placate to whether they're going to a court they're going to be hated and we're going to a court where they're going to be loved because they're going to adjust how they interact with the court based on the majority of people that will feel one way or the other towards them. If they're going to be hated, they might lean into the fact that they're hated. If they're loved, they might lean into the fact that they're being loved or do the opposite. So shall we say, um, and I did add games go specifically because they are a person who is a rumor monger. So they're going to lock you into a game of go and then have a conversation with you and then take your secrets from you during this game of go. They have no interest in whether they're going to win or not. They're good at it, but they're good at it because that means that they're going to sit with you for a long period of time. Mm. So they can reap that information from you. It's like hot ones. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's basically hot ones. <laughs> I'm going to distract you while I pull the information. Have out. a hot wing. Yeah. Continue. Continue. Yeah. Yes. Tell me about this affair you've had. I'm sorry. I'm thinking about this game. It happened so long ago. But it happened. <laughs> what about you, Steve? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think the, the interesting thing that I went for was just the awkwardness of my courtier. Like, generally, courtiers are expected to be well-spoken mm-hmm. and, you know, very, like, eloquent in their words, whereas my courtier is going to be very wooden and very, like, stick to the facts, you know, this, that, and the other, hard stop. Like, there's no long, billowy speeches or, you know, distracting with words and other things. It is... This is how it was done, so this is how it should be done now. Yeah. Like, this is the precedent. We stick to the precedent, and that is that. You know, if there's no, like, big, grandiose gestures. Your guy sounds great at parties. Oh, absolutely. But that's what I think, because, like, you had mentioned that, like, the fact that he didn't take can't lie with that kind of, like, emotional capacity in mind. Hmm. I feel like your and I characters have a similar skill that we don't really necessarily, like, talk about, but we're good at masking. Yes. Well we'll be able to have a socially constructed conversation with you and be able to lie to you, be able to talk to you, deceit you, make you fall in love with us because we're very good at matching energy with you. We can mask with you. Yes. Right. And then when I go home, I need to take a nap. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, it's absolutely a, you know, like it is that like finding the thread between the truth. Yeah. You know, like, like feeding that, like, sorry, threading that needle of like, yes, I am telling you hard facts but maybe they're not quite, like, exactly the way that I'm telling them to you. But I'm telling them to you in a very, like, placated way, so I get what I need out of you. Yes. I am telling you facts, but I am telling you facts from a very specific period of a very specific situation. And And maybe I'm omitting that one little thing that might be... Change the answers that I require. Yes, but I am banking on you not knowing that because this was a very long time ago and most people don't know about it. Yeah, the information is super niche. Yes. (laughs) Love it, love it, love it. All right, so if your courtier had to run a business of some sort, uh, what mercantile pursuit do you think they would take? My, mine already speaks for itself. My dude is the, the the most extravagant, absurd tailor. You come to me not because you just want a great kimono, but because you want an experience. You want to know. 
that what you're wearing comes from, you know, the house of whatever the Suzuki's name is, right? Yeah. Like, it is the highest quality, but it also comes with the prestige of being fawned over and prodded at by Yasuki so-and-so. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> Mine needs to be the more, the, the, it, like, information is key, right? She has all the information that you require. It's going to cost something from you to get that information. So not necessarily money, not necessarily, like, riches, gold, what have you, but it's going to cost you something. Whether it's another piece of information or an exchange of, like, risks and reward is definitely what the scorpion is going to go after. I feel like a cool cover for your character would be to, like, style herself as a fortune teller. I'd say either fortune teller or even matchmaker. Yeah. Nice. Because there's nothing that gets you more information about somebody than trying to match them with a pair. Right? But I didn't want to go the, the love matchmaker route, but it does fit. But I like Fortune Teller better, so that would fit. Well, it's funny that you say that because I did go the matchmaker route. Of course, <laughs> course you did. <laughs> because it makes sense. Like, it, it plays into two different aspects of the character, right? One yeah. half is, like, I have precise memory and sage, which means I understand and recognize how different things work well together. Yeah. And different elements of who a person is will complement another person. Yeah. And then I can remember all of it. Fair enough. Right? So as people come across my door, I can immediately just go like, ah, yes, I know just the person. Uh, and I think the other half of it is sort of that antisocial, like, longing for something that they themselves don't have. Like, being a reclusive person, being somebody who isn't good at, like, walking up to so-and-so and, like, having that very at-ease conversation, like, whether you like them or not, like, it, it is sort of that desire to see other people happy with a partner and, like developing that and, and living vicariously through that experience. That's right? gross, Steve. Ew, Steve. Ew. Oh, sorry. Ew, Steve. Ew, Steve. Love. <laughs> Steven. Steven. <laughs> it's a little bit early for... Character lovemaking. Ew. Ew. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> well. Love that for you. <laughs> well, love that for Hidachi. Fair enough. Maya Sako. Well, you gave them a name. I named all my characters. I named all my characters, too. Yeah. Yep. My, my, catch my, up, Roman. Mine are just fucking mannequins. <laughs> uh, what, okay, hold on. Let me look up my name. Like, I have... So, I did... Uh, Yoritomo Kaiju, because she's a monster. Uh, and, then, and then I did, uh, Bayushi Naya. Oh, okay. Yeah. My yeah. one's name was Hachi. Hachi. Yeah, there you go. Well, now I have to find names for Well, it's guys. too late now. I think it's you're, a little late for you're that. You're behind Steve and I, and you know what? That's okay. You don't always have to be on top, BB. Maya Koto's name <laughs> is Tomoyuki. Oh, you're just making shit up right now. No, no. There's this precedent. I picked the name of the guy who created Godzilla. Okay. Like how I chose Kaiju in this bitch chooses. <laughs> he does have to be on top. Always. Always. <laughs> <laughs> My Yasuki's name is Majima. Fine. <laughs> because Majima is the name of a guy from the Yakuza series, and the Yasuki are based on the Yakuza. Well, there you That's go. That's fair. There you go. I'm one of the crew. <laughs> All right. Well, finally, we're going to be exploring different builds for the Shugendra. So let's roll some dice. I got a eight. I got a three. I got a rock. You got... <laughs> Does that mean you got a one? I got a one. I love that about you. All right, so I built a dragon. Yay, dragons. So for my Shugenja with the Dragon Clan, I, of course, went with the classic Tamori. So those who have played in games with me before know that one of my biggest legacy characters was a Tamori Shugenja. Yes. 
But I built that character way off fucking base. Um, she was a Juganja who wanted nothing more than to just, like, fight. So she spent her time learning how to wield a sword rather than going along with her proper upbringing. And then over time learned about her place in the Empire and became a liberator of the Dragon Clan. But anyways, no I digress. <laughs> <laughs> this will be a more classically built Shugenja with a bit of a twist. So... The Tamori family Shugenja have a tendency to blend science and magic together and a practice basically called alchemy. So we're going to lean more into that here. And due to being more utilized as more tactical fighters of the magical user sector, I want to lean into their stamina and ability to live. So basically the Tamori are the earth ring through and through. Uh, the big delight for them is what ties them to the idea of science and alchemy is that they can bottle spells to be utilized later by either themselves or someone else. So that's where that alchemy piece comes in. So this prep makes them great battle masters. So the Tamori Shugenja I'm going to build is a war tactician, which is a lot of stuff you guys kind of mentioned briefly within your characters that comes together in this little Shugenja that I have built. So on Big battle uh, package. Tiny, tiny little Shugenja. <laughs> so on top of the already given school skills of being athletic, have calligraphy, defense, divination, lore theology, medicine, and spellcraft, I added Kenjutsu to make them a little bit of a fighter, sincerity, courtier, investigation, and of course, battle. Most of my points spend went into battle and investigation to bump up those earth rings and water rings, as well as be kind of like a little bit of a healer. Again, this placates the fact that they are sturdy, but also perceptive battle planners. So for advantages, I chose um, precise memory, so their knowledge sticks with them and can be recalled should a battle planning need to occur, they are called on as basically the timekeeper. To say a battle like this occurred in this time frame, this is what they did, this is what we can do during this time. I also gave them sage. <laughs> yeah, more sage! <laughs> Which, again, it means they have basically a skill point in any lore skill check they can make. Uh, which means, again, yeah, once again, that knowledge recollection adds into the fact that when they're called in to be this battle planner, they can recall anything that has happened within history to be like, this happened, this is how we're going to deal with it now. For disads, however, I gave them, this is going to be where it pops off, I gave them frail mind, as I would almost want to play them as if they have a little bit of ADHD. Because this basically means that concentration is something of a struggle for them. <laughs> and finally gave them um, a fascination to spells and research, which I think plays off of the frail mind in a hilarious way of I'm always wanting to learn something, but I don't know what to concentrate on. And, it hyper and that, that leads to the hyperfixation mm. of this character. Um, but once they focus in on an area they're kind of like a force to be reckoned with because they have that recollection and they have that knowledge. They can be like, if this is what I'm focusing on, I can fix this problem. But getting them to focus on that is going to be a struggle and a half for anyone. So, and I think that placates with the fact that dragons are a little bit more aloof and a little bit more kind of like loosey-goosey and a little bit more free flow feeling um, that it's going to be hard to get them to focus in, okay, dude, we have this battle coming up. We need a strategy. And it's going to take them a day and a half to fucking figure it out. But when they figure it out, they fucking figure it out. It's kind of how I would play them. So I'd almost play this as like an elder or an older or what have you. So I did build them at level one, 
but I would almost want to see this character played all the way through to master level and retirement. Mm. And they're called in to be able to like put towards this battle process. So you'd see this character as more of like a, like a late level NPC. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Or I would play them at level one to be like, yeah, I know everything about these battles. You want me to read about it? Yeah, I can read about that, but I'll talk to you about it in three days because I have 700 things I need to read before I get to <laughs> Right? So that's how I'd play it at level one. Yeah. But later in level, it would be the, no, no, I can focus now because I'm older and I'm wiser and you've told me what I can focus on. But as a young, spry, level one character, it would be all over the place. Fair. Right? But yeah. What about you, Steve? Yeah, well, I went uh, I went with Crane from my Shigenja. Uh, and the, the Crane school uh, is the Asahina Shigenja. And the Asahina are traditionally pacifists. Hmm. So they are a little bit less combative, um, try to solve things through discussion or discourse, and combat is sort of a last-ditch effort. Mm-hmm. So to play into that, I sort of built her as a um, like a support totem. Yeah. Uh, and the reason I went that direction is because she's blind. So oh, you took that to sad. Yes, I did. Okay, so, great. So both of her eyes were removed at some point through some tragic event. I almost her, took blind too, life. but I was like, no, no, no okay. <laughs> I love that you took it. Go I on. did, I did. <laughs> uh, and, and to play into the blind, I also did disturbing countenance. Okay. Yeah. Um, so basically, they, she's not just naturally blind; she literally does not have eyeballs, which is scary. It is scary. Yeah. So would leave like would wear a veil or something like that most of the time, but yeah. like would have that sort of almost like. Uh, ghostly, like, manner of, like, staring off as they speak. Like, they don't look you... They don't look at you. Like, they're staring off and there's no eyeballs to be seen whatsoever. (laughs) So you're just just scared to, like, these holes in their skull. (laughs) Well, again, veil in front. Veil in front. Okay, fair, fair. And then gets around mostly just through assistance from the cami. Uh, So to represent that, this is something I'd probably have to discuss with, again, with my uh, GM of the game. Um, having both friendly kami air and friend of the elements air, which give you a lot of benefits to air spells, but also makes it easier to commune and request things. So to basically allow her to navigate on her own, she would be guided by her little air elemental kami um, to keep her mobile. Oh, cute. Um, And because she can't see, that does sort of limit me to a very, like, subset of spells um, that are more supportive and, like, area of effect kind of style benefits. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I guess, yeah, so it, it is really just sort of like, yeah, she, her her goal is to be supportive and defensive of her and herself and her teammates while things get sorted out one Love way it. or the other. Very cute. What are you, Roman? So I did something a little bit odd for my Shigenja, and I decided to showcase one of the homebrew clans that we have played with in the past, and I built a wolf Shugenja. I built a member of the Kyushu family. So the Kyushu are... A homebrew family. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> the Kyushu are a bold, brazen, and firm in their resolve. They are known to stand by their ideals to a fault. They are hardy and resilient samurai who temper their body and minds for the arts of war. Many Kyushu without Shugenja talent find themselves studying in the various monastic orders or enlisting as scouts, as a lean lifestyle tends to be to their liking. The Kyushu Shugenja are 
warrior priests and gardeners who use the tilling of the land and their connection to the earth as a way of binding themselves to the ritual magics of the earth. And as a product of that, they are bolstered by the earth and it allows them to strike out against their enemies as such. Mm -hmm. The Kyushu get calligraphy, defense, theology, craft farming, jujitsu, spellcraft, and uh, anyone high skill. I picked medicine. I built my Kyushu to be a more sort of like buffing defensive Shugenja, but to be sort of like a stone rolling downhill. Mm -hmm. There is a Phoenix advanced school that allows you to take earth spells and turn them into ice spells. Mm -hmm. And sort of the idea of that, of like an avalanche slowly building as time goes by. So a lot of the spells that I took were things like, um, you know, buffing yourself so that if you get hit, you do damage back. Mm -hmm. Buffing yourself so that your unarmed strikes now do additional damage. So for the first couple rounds of combat, it's a lot of these low-level spells making yourself stronger, sturdier, more frightening. And then after about the third round of combat, it's, okay, which target within 15 feet is dying? Mm -hmm. Right? Along with that, I also wanted them to be able to support the party a little bit better. So I took the battle healing advantage so that... Uh, once per day per person, you can spend a water spell slot or two slots of any other element to heal one full wound rank. Mm. So it gives them a little more flexibility. I'm probably not going to be casting air spells, but with those two air slots I have, being able to heal somebody back a full rank from, oh, I'm down and hurt to, okay, I'm hurting but still functional, yeah. seemed really useful to me. I took ascetic because it felt really good with this monastic order of people who survived by tilling the land, you don't need much, right? You need to be able to eat, you need to be able to hang out with the homies, and you need to be able to make sure that the earth spirits that are surrounding you are happy. Yeah, minimalistic. But I did not pick a name for my Shugenja. Oh, I picked a name for mine. Did you pick one for yours, Steve? Of course I did. What's yours? Uh, my Shugenja's name is Asahina Reina. Mine is Tamori Dugai. All right, so one thing that you can do with your Shigenja when you're building your character is you can spend points to memorize spells. Um, so I want to see if you guys chose to memorize spells with your character. If so, why, why not? And if so, what spells did you choose? So I'll start because I was first. So I did not choose to memorize any of my spells simply because as a Tamori, I can bottle spells so they can be used at a later time which means I don't really need that necessity of being able to have those spells memorized. It's handy, but I just did not for my character because they just would not take the time to do so. However, spells that I would bottle and or memorize should I not to for an Earth Shugenja is things like Armor of the Earth, which would be very handy to hand to someone else on your team to give them a little bit of a boost to like their TN or what have you. Um, as well as I did build mine to be Earth Ring Water Ring, because I felt like they would be very good at the healing aspect. So I added Path to the Inner Peace would be one that they would bottle to hand someone else. It's basically like handing them a healing potion to say, heal yourself a little bit, have a nice day. Yep. Uh, but I did want to give honorable mention to Tetsubo of Earth, uh, <laughs> because it basically makes you make a magical Tetsubo to hit people with, which is phenomenal. And I would memorize that if I was to be in a Shugenja. So I just had to give that an honorable mention. Tap but, it with a bat. Yeah. Tap it with a bat. Tap it with a bat. What about you, Steve? Uh, well, I 
misunderstood this question, and I didn't realize that memorizing spells was a thing you could do, as I do not play a lot of Shigenjas. Uh, <laughs> Welcome to Shigenja Life. So you yeah. can spend points to memorize a spell that makes it so that you can play it in less time. Okay, so it basically cuts uh, down on the that, cast time. That is, that is not how that works. Please tell me, then just correct me. So, memorizing a spell... Oh, it means you don't need a somatic component. Is that what it is? It means that you do not need the material component yeah. of the scroll in front of you. To read it. It means that you uh. can just speak the spell from memory, because for most Shugenja, in order to cast a spell, you pull out the scroll as a free action, and then you read the scroll word for word. If you have it memorized, you do not need to pull out the scroll in order to, to do so. So technically right. it still happens slightly faster. You get to save a free action. Yeah. Faster. Sh you know what? <laughs> Quote unquote, faster. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's what I just did. Air quotes. Faster. faster. Yes. <laughs> Quote unquote. <laughs> For, uh, those, for those of you who can't see my face, because this is an audio medium, I'm trying my hardest not to disconnect my optical nerves by <laughs> rolling my eyes. <laughs> well, you taught me everything I know, and I don't know this, so I blame you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, on that note, um, for my, my shug, I mean, one of the things about building a shugenja... I'm not sure if we mentioned this prior or not, but each Shigenjo has a, an affinity and uh, deficiency. deficiency. Deficiency, yeah. So for an Asahina, it is an affinity of air and a uh, deficiency in fire. Um, so as a result, I didn't get any fire spells. They, they cast worse than anything else, and I don't have any slots as part of the building of the character off the bat. Um, so most of my stuff is air-focused, so I got, uh, again, stuff that is really intended to be uh, defensive. So uh, Blessed Wind, which will deflect any ranged projectiles that I can't see coming, uh, it basically just whips up a bunch of air around me and will blow away arrows and the like. Uh, and then uh, another one I took is called uh, Legacy of Kaze no Kami, mm -hmm. um, which again allows me to, this is less of defensive and more sort of like a utility spell where I can actually summon up a bird made of air whisper it a message and it will fly to a person within the range uh which is about 10 miles depending on your school rank so every school rank you get another 10 miles uh and it will fly to that person whisper the message to them um which just seemed like a really nice utility like option for being able to stay in touch with the rest of the party members okay um, but like imagine that as a memorized spell that you don't have to pull out of school to do that you just go like whisper on the wind oh uh, yes right like that would look really cool it would look really cool Burb. You just make bird noises, and like a thing happens, right? I, I think for memorized spells, though, the, the things that you would want to memorize more often than not would be combat things, though, right? Because, I mean, when you're standing around being like, oh, I should send a message to somebody, pulling out a scroll is really not that big a deal. But if somebody's running at you with a sword, you don't really want a piece of paper, like, in your face. Yeah, if you're a combatant, like, Shigenja, like, if I do a fire Shigenja, yeah. or if I do one that's specifically built for battle, like, that's why I said I would love to do Tetsubo of Earth. Yes. Just, <laughs> Tetsubo. Tetsubo. Like, Fair. <laughs> And again, it's all about context, right? Like, if you have fallen into a river, got swept downstream, and you don't have any of your spell scrolls on you, then knowing how to summon the bird is real really useful. Good. That's fair. That's fair. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, Where's my bird? Where's bird? <laughs> That's my bird. Uh, yeah, inside jokes aside. Uh, <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, I think if I was going to memorize any of my spells, it would be Tempest of Air. No. Um, although, I guess the question is, uh, and this is something I didn't consider because, again, I didn't know how this worked. 
I'm blind. I can't read scrolls. Mm-hmm. But you can recite them over and over and over. So I feel like you, you, you mean, would you mean memorize them? You would have to memorize every single I one of your spell, scrolls. Yeah, I would, as a character. Yeah. Or have them written in Braille. This is what, and I would, as a GM, yeah. allow that. Yeah. All your scrolls are written in Braille, but that means you cannot use your hands yeah. for anything other than you, reading your you scrolls. You have to drop prone in order to read your read scrolls. Read your scrolls. Why prone? So that you can read them on the ground. You don't need to put it up against something. Yeah, but both your hands are being them? used, yeah. so you can't randomly well, grab well, your well, sword. Well, you can do this. But the, the scrolls are long, though. That's the thing. It's not. It's not like... Again, Anyways, audio, yes. audio medium. They can't see his arm lengthening. They're, they're not like three feet long, right? Like Fair. Yeah, okay. But okay. I, yeah, as a GM, you can retcon what that looks like for your character. You the fact that you're a blind yes. Shugenja and have to read scrolls, braille them, what does that look like in battle for you? Yeah, right? No, like, Nah, motherfucker, a, I'd make you pay. It'd be an interesting, it would be an interesting uh, addition to how that character works. You either memorize these spells or you don't cast them. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. What about you, Roman? Did you spend money on memorizing spells? I spent them for one, because I expected my Shugenja to be in fisticuffs all the time. And there is an earth spell called Strike as Stone, Mm -hmm. where the target's hands cannot be physically harmed for the duration of the spell. And their unarmed damage rating is increased by 2 KO. It lets you do things like drive your fingers into a lock and bust it. It lets you do things like... GM, I want to lockpick the lock. How? I ram my fingers inside of it and break it. Hey, I'm going to parry this dude's sword with what? You're unarmed. I know. I know I am. Like, like I looked at the spell and immediately just thought of all the cool ways that I could make some storyteller be like, I fucking hate you so much. (laughs) The other spell that I considered, but that I didn't have enough points in my build for, was sharing the strength of many. For the duration of the spell, the lowest Earth Ring target amongst all targets is added to the total of all Ring, Trait, and Skill rolls, but not spellcasting rolls they make. So, if three of us are in a room, and I have an Earth of four, and Megan has an Earth of four, and you have an Earth of three, Steve, we all get a plus three to all of our Trait, Skill, and Ring rolls, which is pretty okay. Yeah. It's, yeah. Not, it's not unkept dice. Which, no. like, is, I've taken it, it before. I've taken this it's spell. It's such a cool spell. Yeah. At level one, too. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's, it's wild as a rank one spell. Yeah. So, yeah, that like that was close contention, but because of the way that I had my character design, I wanted Strike to Stone so badly. Yeah. I, I wanted to punch through Shoji doors. I wanted to <laughs> parry Katana with my bare hands. Like, it's also hard, to, like, especially building a level one character with only 40 points to spend depending on how many disads and adds you take, it's hard to want to put the money into memorizing your spells. I feel if you're making a, a rank two or a rank three character, we have a little bit more experience points to work with. That makes it a little bit easier to choose. I'm going to put points into memorizing the spell or do this or do that. Because that in my mind, that's your character growing and learning. And like I've used this spell enough that I have it memorized. It, and it's, right. it's hard to justify spending points that don't actively progress your character. Yeah, or benefit you in a storyline way. Yeah. Sometimes. Like, it depends, right? So, like, for me, I, again, for me, I didn't take them because I have abilities that mean I don't necessarily have to have them at level one. But if I was going to level, like, if I was going to rank two, rank three, I would probably start memorizing spells. Yeah. Like, you know, it just it just depends. So, 
Um, second question is, what are some creative ways you are using that you would use your rank technique as a Shugenja? So Shugenja are a little bit different than Courtier and your Bushi characters because every rank you get a different ability. Whereas Shugenja tend to have one house school ability that works for you and then you just develop your spells and your skills from there. But you don't necessarily get a different rank technique per. So it's really fun to find different ways to describe and how you use that one little rank technique that you may get. Uh, again, depending on what your family and what school you choose. So because I was Tamori through and through, I only have one school technique. And that is the fact that I can bottle up spells and hand them to people and or use them myself. So creative ways that I would use them is what kind of bottle are you carrying? Where do you get them from? How are they made? <laughs> so like, are you using classic potion bottles? Are you using canisters, clay pots that break easily? Or like, like, where are you getting them from, right? Do you have a, do you, do you have a source? <laughs> or do you make them yourself mm. is another piece that I would say. Like, do you sit there and as a part of your character in downtime, make little clay pots that you can use to bottle your spells up later? Yeah. Because a part of the thing is either you use them yourself or people throw them, which means in my mind, you're breaking that bottle that you just spent hours making. <laughs> <laughs> which is something I didn't really think about until I was like trying to answer this question mm. is like, I'm sorry, I am bottling up these spells and handing them off to people, trusting that either I'm going to get this bottle back or it's going to break. <laughs> I'm sorry. You still have some of my Tupperware. <laughs> and we talk about this as friends. Like you have some of my Tupperware. It's like, great. It'll come back to you eventually in a meal that I make later on down the yeah. day. But like in this world, no one else bottles spells, but a specific Tamori Shigenja, yeah. which means those bottles that they make might be kind of special. And so I would almost play it as I was defensive of the bottles. And be like, if you break it, you buy it. <laughs> if you don't break it, you give it back. <laughs> but I think that's a good creative way to work with that rank technique. Because again, I'm not going to get multiple of them. But no. it helps develop my character in a weird sense. Well, does the does the school come with a free high skill? Uh, no, uh, one free high skill. Okay, so you could theoretically use that to do artisan. But then it ain't free, Steve. But <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's mandatory as a part of playing. Well, no, it's not mandatory. It's an option like that gives you a benefit to your character as opposed to having to either buy or source them. Um. Okay. So uh, Tamori Shigen specifically do not get an added skill. Oh. Okay. Their skill list is their skill list. And then whatever you buy, you buy after. Okay. I think as a storyteller, like, I wouldn't punish my Tamori Shugenja for, like, okay, it says that you bottle the spells. Like, yeah, okay, cool. Like, you, you make the bottle out of the same energies that you make the spell out of. Oh, no, I just, think... like, part of the rank technique is, like, okay, now you have the bottle, too. But that's the thing. is like, a creative way of doing that is telling my GM how I'm doing that. Yeah, fair. Right? That's how I'm going to add that little placation to my character. I'd be like, no, like, I, I make them from clay. Or like, no, I have, I, I have a guy. Right? <laughs> like, and like, again, that's the creative way to play it. It's sure. just like, you have a guy. So like, so your GM can be like, okay, well now you're in a city four cities away. What are you going to do? I'll find another guy. I find yeah. a new guy. <laughs> I think it really does come down to like your level of role play to a certain extent. Cause like, I think we've all been the archer in the campaign yeah. where we've started out early and been like, ah, oh, yes, I shoot arrows. And I don't think about where those arrows come from. You know, like it's pretty rare that somebody goes, ah, oh, yes, I go around and pick all of the arrows that are still in one piece out of, out of their dead bodies. Not to say that people don't. I think it's just, it is a higher level, yeah. like, consideration. Yeah, it's a, it, yeah, and we talked about this when we did Saruchi Archers in ours. Yeah. 
where like when we were on a boat and I miss my target, yeah. my arrow goes in the water. He's you know down. I mean? So it's like, it's like, so what do I do? And like I did, we did have options where we were shopping around and I bought special arrows, mm. but my basic arrows I would have a certain amount going into battle. I think it's kind of the agreement we came to at one point. Yeah. And like... Yeah. Like if I had armor piercing arrows, I had to source those. That's fair. But yeah. other things like just a basic arrow, just that there's arrow somebody, I make those in my downtime. And that's what replenished them. Yeah. And it was just known that I have them. Yeah, like L5R as a setting is kind of weird because like scavenging things from corpses is kind of a no-no. It's a no-no. Yeah. So it's like... I. To keep in line with the setting, I would rather just hand wave the fact that you're like, yeah, you have brought enough stuff with you, or you can source enough stuff where you just like recraft arrows. Professional courtesy. Yeah, professional courtesy. Professional courtesy, courtesy yeah. which is something that we will talk about in a later episode. Hey, oh, 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 look at me jumping ahead again. You're all right. Steve, what are creative ways you would describe your rank technique? Uh, honestly, for the Asahina, it's really difficult. Um, so there's two halves to the Asahina technique. One is that you can use a, uh, a void point to give, um, like in a radius, everybody minus uh, 0k1 for uh, a number of rounds equal to your rank, which kind of operates as red. Like there's not a lot of sort of flexibility to how you could or could not use that. Mm -hmm. um, I, again, I, I sort of envisioned my character as a bit of a totem on the battlefield. So like she plants herself and affects things around her yeah she's not running around she's not trying to move she's just sort of like i'm here now you guys are all fighting around me effect bushy effect. take care of me i'm effect. gonna sit here for a hot minute yeah yeah, yeah. so like <laughs> it, it is very much just sort of like a battle modifier it's fair um and then the other thing is that she does get free raises on spells with defense keywords yeah. which again plays into that sort of like yeah i'm going to protect myself i'm going to buff myself up and then because I am protected, I will stand here and do things. Yeah. Um, it, it, it is, I tried to think of other ways that you could really play that character and like, it really, it, it does lend itself to one sort of play style. Like it is very defensive based and it is very sort of like, yeah, I'm going to be here and I'm just going to like modify the things around me. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, I'm not sure that there's a ton of creativity that can really get played into that kind of thing. If you guys can think of anything. Honestly, I think the process of sitting down and saying, hey, I'm going to take a moment. Everybody else deal with everything that's helping around me is good enough. <laughs> so the, the, the rank, the activated rank technique, the like 0k1 to uh, damage rolls yeah. could be there is a bubble. Yeah. I like, I activate the ability. There is a bubble that purses out from, you know, out of me. And then anytime somebody tries to be violent within that bubble, the air just sort of moves them in a different direction. Sure. Yeah. It could also be that there is a, a current or a gust coming off of me that makes it hard for people to aggress within that range. Almost like you're trying to walk into the wind. Right. Right. So there's, there's different ways there's of flavoring it yeah. that all sort of, uh, play into what the Asahina does, but it's whether or not it is like a passive thing, an active thing, a um, is it environmental? Is it um, is it does it play into your character's uh, disturbing countenance? Because a part of the air purview is fear, right? Right, illusions. Yeah. So do they anytime that they try to attack somebody else they get visions of something that sort of like yeah, deters okay. them That's or like draws idea. them away right 
Yeah, and it, it does sort of, yeah, you, you just sort of have this aura about yourself that yeah. throws people off. Yeah, your yeah. disturbing countenance, like, spreads out to the point where it unnerves people when they're trying to attack. Mm, I like that, okay. The, the aura of heebie-jeebie. Heebie-jeebie. <laughs> I, feel, I feel off. <laughs> you, you get an eyeless stare, like, full flash. Like, oh, yeah. dude, jump scare. Yo, dude, yo, the aura of jump scare is so sick. <laughs> Oh, well, well, now I have a new NPC idea. There you go. (laughs) All right, Roman, you're last. How would you describe your rank technique? The Kyushu rank technique is a number of days equal to your school rank as a complex action. You can deal damage to an enemy touching the ground within your Earth times five in feet. It cannot be intercepted or deflected, although magic resistance or other forms of magical defense can thwart it. Mm-hmm. I really like the idea of it being similar to the Earthbenders from Avatar The Last Airbender, mm. but to add some spice to it, it's not I stomp the ground and a rock comes up and flies at you. It's I am in contact with the ground and I, like, sink. Mm-hmm. I exhale and I ground myself and I like sort of meditate a little bit and a statue of a fist comes up from beneath you and strikes you in the back of the head or a stone wolf comes out of the ground and bites at your ankles. Like it's, it's summoning different things like me remaining perfectly still, but manipulating the earth and forming the earth to be an extension of myself as opposed to like making the earth a projectile mm-hmm. or making the earth like a like a weapon like the earth is as much me or the earth is a way of allowing my spirit to sort of strike out at you mm-hmm. right that's that's sort of how i would like to play this kyushu in particular yeah. that's cool cool yeah neato yeah neato <laughs> so yeah i think um now that we've sort of completed all of our, our character builds, one of the things that we didn't really talk about a lot and is sort of a unique part of L5R as a system and Rokugan as a society as a whole is um, that dueling is used as a way of adjudicating disputes. Um, these ritualized duels require participation from every pillar of samurai society to function. A bushi to answer the challenge, a courtier or magistrate to sanction them, and a shugenja present to sanctify them to ensure that there is no magical interference. While dueling is the official way of settling disputes that come to blows, it should be recognized that they are not always the best way. Um, Robin, why don't you break down exactly how duels work? So, all duels start with a challenge. Let's say I've been talking shit, and Steve's like, you know what, man? I don't like your tone, you should apologize. And I don't apologize, at which point Steve is like, you know what, we're going to fight about this. So if I am a Bushi, I am expected to defend myself. If I am not, I can elect a champion. All of this aside, no matter what, Steve and I both have to go and ask our lords for permission. So we go and talk to the dudes that we work for. Steve's like, yeah, Roro is talking shit. He said that I was too tall. He's like, yeah, I mean, you are pretty tall, but if you want to fight about this, go ahead and fight about this. And then we would arrive at a predetermined place and location with a magistrate there to officiate and a shugenja there to sanctify. The magistrate says, yep, this is lawful. Both of you have received permission from your lords. The shugenja makes sure that 
both of the participants in the duel have not been interfered with through magical means by cleansing the dueling space and removing any magical benefits from them. Yes, Steve. Question about that. Yes. So a lot of the time, these disputes can occur during a court. Yep. Or in a foreign land. Yep. How does one go about achieving permission from one's lord when you are potentially halfway across the empire? So that depends. There are certain moments where you would go and you would speak to a local magistrate who speaks on behalf of the ranking samurai of your clan. There are times where, let's say you're at court and you have a head delegate for your clan. They would act as the ranking samurai and therefore they would speak with the power and the permissions of your lord. Yeah, if you're there on like behalf of your clan, there's somebody there that's with you that your lord has like bestowed upon like the okay, yeah, you can make the decisions for me on my behalf. Fair. Right? Sometimes there's nobody there to sign off and in those instances they would be unsanctioned duels. Mm. After everything is, you know, all cut and dry and clean, both of the samurai would assess each other. You stand across from each other, you size your opponent up, and you decide, hey, this guy's a badass, and I don't think I want to do this anymore, or nah, I'm going to cut him down. Withdrawing during the assessment is, can like, you, you know, you admit fault, and you suffer whatever consequences that you have agreed upon, but it is considered honorable to withdraw at this point. Because it's unsanctioned. Sorry. Well, well no, 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 because... At this point, it's, hey, you know what? I was wrong. You were right. You have I the, apologize. the opportunity to say, never mind, you so can, my bad. <laughs> you can back down instead of engaging in the duel and getting your shit rocked. Okay, fair enough. Right? After which, there is the focus, where both samurai prepare themselves. They center themselves. And then there is the strike, where both each samurai lunges forward. And depending on the terms of the duel, whether it is to first blood or to the death, that is what will determine how the duel proceeds. So if it is to first blood, whoever is able to cut the opponent first is considered the winner. If it is to the death, well, you know, you get the first cut and then you go through combat as normal, mm -hmm. right? After the duel is concluded, the consequences of the duel are then meted out. So let's say that the loot, it's a duel to the death. That does not only apply to the champion, it also applies to the person that they are championing. Mm -hmm. So if Steve was talking mad shit and it was to the death and I kill Steve's champion, Steve's gonna die too. Steve has to commit seppuku as an honorable way of accepting the terms the of the duel. Yeah. Right? Now, if I was to die in that duel and I was someone's champion, they would die as well, right? Mm -hmm. Pretty pretty clean, straightforward. Yeah. Yep, makes sense. And that's how dueling works in Rokugan. It is the way that most major disputes are settled. The emperor themselves has a champion to answer their challenges. They'd be real good. That there's a reason. I want to build that character. You want to build an emerald <laughs> champion? Yeah. They're, they're, they're real good. So uh, a question about the strike phase then. When it comes to striking, you say that so the, to the death, you strike and then transition to regular combat. Correct. But if it's to the blood and you strike and there's no blood, 
Do you set up again and go again? Nope. You continue going until someone has drawn first blood. So you continue regular combat. You could you enter into a skirmish, yes. Okay. So there's no there's never a point where like both members step back and redraw. There is a thing called a karmic tie, which is during the strike, if both targets strike at the same time and no one draws blood, because typically there's a one person strikes first, the other person um you know, strikes next. If both strike at the same time, the way that the rules sort of dictate it is that there is a clash of blades. Mm. And that there is a deflect. And the duel is considered to be resolved with no one being at fault and no one being the winner. Everybody just walks away and we forget everything ever happened. Yeah, it's like the mm. gods saying, not worth anybody's time. Yeah. Stop what you're doing. <laughs> Fair enough. Or you both have an argument and it's both been heard. Move on. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, is there a duel that you remember and any of the consequences that struck you from any of the games that we have played? Oh boy. One of my favorite duels was the culmination of the third part of one of the plots that we were dealing with, and it was around trying to get a sword back. So the person who owned this sword, it was a cursed blade that made the person more confident in themselves, made them more talented, more capable, and in order to win it back, one of the members of the party decided to challenge this person. And one of the stipulations was that this blade could not be used. Mm -hmm. So both of them used swords from an outside source. Mm. Now, people in the party decided that they were going to sabotage one of the swords so that it would fail mm. during the duel. And so both of the duelists step up, the duel is fought, and the person who owned the magic sword, their sword failed mm -hmm. and shattered. And so they lost the duel to first blood. And the player who fought in that duel had no idea that that had happened until after the fact. And they had to deal with all this guilt and all this shame. Like the party got what they wanted. They got this sword back so that they could return it to the person who had petitioned them on this job, but the character themselves was so distraught over the fact that they were used as a pawn in this duplicit thing, mm -hmm. and it shaped the way that that character viewed themselves and interacted with the world going forward, and it was very exciting and very engaging from, from that perspective. Hmm. Cool. I haven't interacted with a lot of duels in our games. Uh, I've never personally gotten into a duel. However, in a more recent campaign, we had a character enter into a duel that he knew he could not win. And it was not for the purposes of gaining honor or to prove a point uh, or even, like I said, to win. It was purely to gather information about his opponent, to glean bits of, you know, how this person thought and how they reacted, basically using the assessment phase and the results and uh, manner in which the duel was taken uh, apart in to forward his own agenda. So he put his own body and his own life on the line to forward what he needed to do as a player. So just because a duel isn't winnable doesn't mean that it is not beneficial mm -hmm. to a player. And I thought that was a very interesting approach to dueling and uh, a way of getting what he needed out of that. Um, without, you know, using it in a traditional manner. Yeah, that's fair. Um, in my little mini campaign that we played, I used dueling once. 
And it was because when I was trying to think of how to introduce this new group of players into the world of Rokugan, I said, what are a couple of pillar things that they need to experience? And one of them would be a duel. However, I didn't really want to put them in a position where a duel would be used to infiltrate a consequence of some kind to them. I wanted them to learn from it. So I took one of the characters who was a bushi and used it as a learning experience where the teacher's like, I would like to teach you how to duel. Mm. Let me show you. And so I let that character and her teacher have a duel, not to the first blood, not like it was just an agreement of to the blade, like whoever strikes the hardest basically is kind of how it went. And then had them like go through the process of having a real duel and like, again, not having those like ultimate consequences or rewards from it, but to teach them what it means to have a duel. So that if they were ever to build a character in the future and understanding what dueling means in Rokugan, they could build their character to play Kate Demore towards that if they wanted to. Because again, to your point, Steve, we've played L5R for quite some time. Dueling is not necessarily utilized on a regular basis in the campaigns that we play Mm -hmm. because we solve our issues in other ways. (laughs) Um, Not always better ways. (laughs) Not always better ways. ways. We still solve them. Um, But if you are to use this way, this is how it works, right? And it's a big part of the society. Not everybody has the honor of actually acting in but giving it as to a player as an opportunity to participate in without the opportunity of consequence, I think taught the group something about how the world works. Yeah, it's, it's a good uh, setting setter, I think. Um, I think one of the things that's tricky about duels is it sets you up in a position where either you need to accuse your player of doing something wrong mm-hmm. or your players need to accuse you of doing something wrong. Yeah. You know, and whether that accusation is accurate or not, I think that puts it puts players in an awkward position. Yeah. I th- I think that's a bit of a pitfall that people succumb to is assuming that duels always have to be a way of resolving dire things and that duels always have to be uh expressions of violence. Cuz as you said, Steve, like a duel can be used in ways to um, suss things out or to draw information from people and the terms of a duel are not always as simple as you know to first blood or to the death there are duels around ribbon cutting so you know you'll put a ribbon on your sword arm and your opponent will do the same and the object is to cut your opponent's ribbon and drawing blood in those instances is considered a loss or a failure mm. yeah. there are shugenja duels in which uh, sometimes the terms will be who has the greater mastery over the element of water. So who can summon the greatest rain cloud? Who can who can create a sculpture out of ice? Yeah. Right? Dueling in Rokugan, while the Iaijutsu duel is very specific in what it demands, the idea of like skill dueling and character dueling allows for a lot of player expression and ways of challenging NPCs sort of above your station in interesting ways. Yeah. Fair. And I think that placates the, like, officiate, the, like, officiating it and the sanctification is the justifying what kind of duel you're having. To your point, Roman, it doesn't always have to be, I'm going to sword for sword. It can be just like a, I can dance better than you do. Or I can, like, it, it can be done in any way, shape, or form. And, like, <laughs> I find that hilarious to a degree because if even if you were a bushi, you could be like, no. A battle to the pain. Let's have words. Give me your give me your hardest poetry. Du- Duel of haiku is a thing. <laughs> Duel of haiku. 
Courtier will have Duel of Haiku, and it's it's the Rokugani rap battle. Yeah. So so I could have a Guardians of the Galaxy moment where I dance battle somebody. For, of course you can. Uh, hell yeah. Yeah. You know, if if the person is willing to accept, and if if you can roll well enough to just be like, nah, you and me, let's boogie. Like, sure, fuck it. Dude. I love the idea of you throwing that out there, being like, yeah, we're gonna dance battle to the death, and the other person's gonna be like, you know what? Yeah. I accept. I accept. <laughs> I take a dance classes. I'm traditionally trained in ballet, and you're like, shit. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. I back down. <laughs> oh, this man bad as fuck. He knows how to boogie. <laughs> this, this bitch know how to play. <laughs> oh, man. All right, so that's all for this episode on character creation in Legend of the Five Rings. Make sure to like and comment with which of the character you would want to play in a game of Legend of the Five Rings. And don't forget to follow or subscribe because the next episode will be bringing you the first of two special episodes about campaign building and legacy in the Emerald Empire. For more information and details, please check the show notes. When you're resolved from the beginning, you will not be perplexed. This understanding extends to everything. Be resolved, young samurai, and tell the world what you have witnessed here today. <laughs>